Have uh, have y'all ever had a lot of experiences like feeding horses? Mm-mm. I, I I'm scared of horses. Like I don't like them. Beta. That's so <laughs> sacrilege. What are you doing on this show? Oh, that's what you're doing on this show because you want horses to be dead. I wish more <laughs> would. Di- no, I don't. I wish more were dead. Uh, like his his plan is working. I want horses <laughs> to be dead. <laughs> it's it's. I'll start a movie podcast. <laughs> it's it's like a respectful fear. I'm not like you know. If I see one on screen, I'm not going to, like, get, like, actually scared. But when I run into one in real life, I like to keep a wide berth because they are fucking huge. Yeah, they're big. Like, they're really big. Their teeth are terrible. And I just kind of hate the way that they look. I They're really big and too squ- They all look like Kansas. Like, <laughs> too big, too angled. I don't care for it. And, like, the idea of sticking my hand anywhere near those chompers just, like, sends shivers up my spine. The place between nostril is where I want to lay for eternity. <laughs> it looks so soft. It doesn't look soft, Peach. That shit is soft, okay? It's, you gotta touch it sometime. A little soft, a little wet. Have you gotten in there? On there, sure. Should get one of these? <laughs> yeah, a little... As a dolphin girl, it took a lot of prayer to figure out if this is the choice I wanted to make, being here with you both. And (laughs) at the end of the day, like, you know, I grew up into, like, an adult horse identity. I was not a horse girl growing up. And there's a huge difference. The the dolphin girl, horse girl uh, bifurcation is so... (laughs) interesting it's really weird like what emphasis we put on animals when you're young savannah to this day loves charlotte's web so much that she refuses to watch babe because like there can't there can't be two pig things in her life well then she doesn't love pigs i get that babe is a great movie she'd love babe but every time i bring it up she's like fuck that fuck that movie (laughs) that's not chill have you ever told her to like Stop pitting, like, beautiful, successful pigs against each other. Pigs supporting <laughs> pigs. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, like, where does she draw the line on Miss Piggy? That shit is really, like, honestly, I don't want to get canceled, so maybe we should change the subject. Are you toxic about Miss Piggy? <laughs> we need to talk about Miss Piggy. I want to say something really fucking irreversible about her. Um, I've got one... One last thing, and I know this isn't an organic segue, but it's like one last thing, and then should we start talking about the movie? No. All right. Okay. Um, I just like, so uh, set photos came out, and I'm like a little worried about how Netflix's de-aging worked with Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> I don't I don't understand the words you said. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was making a bit like uh, like Ben Platt's face look digitally de-aged. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> because he's 27. He's my, he's I'm like a month older than him. Uh-huh. I look younger than him. I'm fully bald. Yeah. Like he's got he's got old eyes like he's seen something and I'm comfortable making fun of him because this is a very success- successful man with very successful parents who has more talent in his pinky than I've got in my whole body. So you know what? I can, I get to say that he looks sad and jowly, okay? <laughs> 
let me have this. I I think it's risky territory making fun of him because like there's this urban legend going around about him. I guess I mean the way like rumors get kind of out of control on social media, right? Um, this urban legend that he's 27 years old, um, <laughs> but he's he's not. He's a hyper talented seven-year-old and they had to get him up to the level to be able to play a high schooler so they used a sort of a digital uh aging technique called cigarettes oh and, shit um... i've heard about that i saw that in a black mirror episode <laughs> that's fucking scary i hate where society is going always on our right. phones <laughs> too many phones and seven-year-old ben platt just fucking blasting cigs to be able all of to... these kids are just on their cigarettes all day. Yeah, like just swiping on their cigarettes. It's like, are you catching Pokemon with those uh, cigarettes? That's disgusting, oh. honestly. I'm like, look up from your cigarettes and just see the world. Just look up. It's beautiful out. Stop calling your boyfriend. Are, are, are you going to do the Scorpion King? If if we did the Scorpion King two, it would be it would be nine movies. We'd be here for nine weeks. We'd be here for nine weeks. Welcome to Dead Horse, a podcast where we uh, discuss the under-discussed movie franchises out there, the unsung, the rightfully, you know, it's uh, sometimes they're bad. Uh, and today uh, we're talking about the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Uh, I'm Dixon, and you probably know me from all the times I uh, throw uh, regular hand towels into the trash accidentally. I loved <laughs> you in that. Um, I'm Becky, and you know me from... All right, let me think of something. I want something really hot, you know? Yeah, yeah. This is our this is our trademark bit, <laughs> so like, don't fuck this up. This is what the people know us for. I'm Becky, and you know me from fly fishing in 2008 i was just (laughs) off camera and you know it's one of the worst cuts i've had to deal with as an actor pretty painful (laughs) that is a that's a joke from the movie that we saw from what movie (laughs) were we supposed to watch something for today okay sorry Uh, no i might have sort of jumped the gun on that we might have just been hit they shooting the shit today I really, yeah, I yeah. really wish someone had said something. I'm just like in a, in kind of like a like a fucked up position. Yeah, now. no. <laughs> 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 I just feel really fucking cornered. <laughs> um, my name is PJ, and you don't know me, and fuck you for thinking you do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know me from getting uh, eyeliner. Uh, into my cornea yeah. and having one bulging red eye uh, like the the barfly lady who seems like she lives in the dive bar um, and also seems like she may have uh, been to zombie war. That's me. Mm. Own it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the mummy, tune of the, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Um, tune, Looney Tune of the Dragon Emperor. We're... <laughs> We're already bringing like the energy this movie fully deserves to this record. Oh. What, what did what did you guys think? Oh, I don't want to go first. PJ, Jesus Christ! Um, so uh, this is why our podcast is called Dead Horse. Um, 
because I, I mean, you know, a lot of our material, we talk about movies being, you know, overlooked, which is something that I think is very subjective and hard to quantify to me. What makes a series, um, a dead horse, um, franchise is that somewhere along the way they lose the plot. Um, and they're, they're wringing a dry lemon rind and it's like, with Mummy 3, like, if you were assigned to make a third Mummy movie that's not in Egypt, I think in theory, they did a lot of the things that they were supposed to, and I don't know, I, I don't know what on paper went wrong here, um, but there is just something so uncanny and off and weird and fucked up about this movie, and it, if my take is that it feels like a Disney straight-to-video sequel. And I think that's part of what's so, like, uncanny and, and weird about it. There's good stuff, but it, it does not stick to the wall for me. And, uh, yeah, I, I just have a really funky taste in my mouth about this generally, like, inoffensive movie. I'm offended. Really? By the movie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Hit yeah, us. I, I don't even think I can think of a good thing about this movie <laughs> like i oh, okay no there there's good stuff in that the lore is fun and like the mm. the idea is cool the cgi is kind of great in my opinion like the 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 guy the main emperor i like him i think he looks cool i'm used to fucking dwayne the rock johnson in like 2d <laughs> um <laughs> rotoscopes by max fleischer directly onto the film stuff and we honestly did that a disservice like we really should have just reamed his ass for looking like that in mummy returns and i just want to note here that he looked like absolute shit and no one on earth was scared of him (laughs) um but yeah so that was kind of cool but i what's lacking in this movie is the romance there is not a drop of chemistry between Evie and Rick. And there is just like a like a like a husk of an idea. This is like what could have happened with the mummy had there not been insane chemistry the first time around. Mm. I do think a lot of the quippy bits are not earned and they're like too many of them. Like they're like where they don't belong. Overall, I just feel like this is devoid of all of the love between the characters that keeps us coming to this, like, series and to these characters. And the family drama is so vague and not believable to me. Like, it Mm -hmm. just all feels so written and sad. I just felt so bummed out after watching this. And, yeah. yeah. I thought it was all right. (laughs) (laughs) Is this movie good? No. But I found myself a little more, you know, like engaged and like, you know, with it than I did with The Mummy Returns. I thought this was, you know, inoffensive. I kind of, you know, I liked it. It's all right. Not, not again. Would never argue that this movie is good. And there, there is like, you know, the glaring issue of Maria Bello, uh, an an, inc- an incredibly talented performer, yes. given put in one of the most unforgiving positions an actor could be um and and she like she she doesn't acquit her well in she doesn't acquit herself well in this movie and it's it's zero percent her fault 
Like, yeah. I, I, at least that's, that is what I believe. Um, I think the part was, was written strangely and we'll get to Rob Cohen, but directed even strangelier. It's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's sort of like the big elephant in the room of this movie. But other than that, um, I think the last half hour is kind of bullshit, but again, no more bullshit than like the entirety of returns in my opinion. Um, the first hour or so, you know, I was kind of enjoying myself, you know, low level enjoying myself, but you know, still like, hey, all right. Yeah. There they are. China. Woohoo. Hmm. <laughs> I think my issue with it is like, okay, so Evie and Rick are super bored in their house and like, <laughs> that's what makes them and they were spies and we hear about that they were spies in the second war uh and like it's just like they're both bored they're both so bored they're not even connecting with each other and like we don't get that like lustful like foundation that the mummy and the mummy returns is built on like they're really strong marriage like we're entering where they're like missing each other at every mark and unfortunately i think because of a lot of you know, things that are going on in his personal life, I think Brendan's really out of it for a lot of this. Like, I sense that he's, like, super... It just... It doesn't feel like he is in the movie that he's in, in my opinion. I just feel like he's... He he looks cloudy. Can mm. I can I talk a little bit about... We we have a whole chapter that, that we shouldn't get to just yet about um, Brendan Fraser's story... But I, I kind of just want to talk about, like, what the fuck is going on with his his energy in this movie. Because mm. I, I didn't necessarily get, like, cloudy or distracted from him. Um, I, I did get a, a very weird kind of, like, uh, like, I think, Dixon, you used the word flanderized in Mummy Returns to kind of describe the way, like, everyone's like jokiest traits are getting like cranked up to 11 and i don't even know that it's by any fault of his own but this movie is like a perfect example of how used incorrectly brendan fraser can feel really really wrong and really off i think he's he's working his ass off um he's really really trying to like hit these jokes and hit these stunts and hit these dialogue passages. I think like he's showing up to play, but like something feels fucking weird. Uh, let me be clear in that. I'm not faulting him for it. It's almost mm -hmm. like him mixed with this material. That is just like yeah. the outcome is what I meant. Um, I totally no, agree. I like, like a lot of the, a lot of like the one liners that are just like, because before, I feel like all the one-liners that he do, and this is, like, let's be honest, I'm super biased. I was raised on those films, and I love them. So I know them backwards and forwards, so I've, like, decided that they make sense no matter Hell what. Yeah. But, like, in this, like, coming in, like, I'm thinking specifically when he was, like, God, I love a woman who drives a truck. I was just like, what the fuck? Why did he say that then? Like... I mean, that one didn't make any sense. It didn't sense. make any uh, sense. And, like, they're just, like, in peril. It's not time to want to fuck your wife when you haven't wanted to fuck her the whole time. I, I, I get that driving a truck might make you want to do that, but it was totally unearned in that moment. And, like, like those are the moments I, that just didn't feel... The, the, the writing for me was just a super miss. Batshit script. Really not good. I... 
I wholly disagree um, with both of your what? assessments of Brendan Fraser's performance. I think he's really locked in. I think because oh, um, okay. I know he's in like he's he's in like bad physical shape at this point. But I think he's trying to uh, I may have said this in the last one, but Michael Jordan flu game it like he is mm. working his ass off. And I think it it reads um, like he seems like frustrated. But as a character, like he, he is radiating the kind of like potential energy you just kind of stack up when you've been inactive for so long. Um, and like you can see these moments where the facade bursts and he just like is either so angry that he has to do something or is so, so happy that he's just like a fucking goofball. But it seems consistent with this character in and like I keep comparing it unfavorably to returns. But I, I think that like this movie helped me elucidate my opinion on both of these mm-hmm. because like they're. I think the huge advantage that this movie has over Mummy Returns is that these characters' interior lives are explored in any way. It's not the most convincing shit. Like like you said, the family drama is not like... I'm not like, oh man, I hope they repair their relationship <laughs> with Alex. No, but like, the, like having like little tiffs, little conflicts because of an interior life and characterization as opposed to like, oh no, the mummy... The mummy has our son is like that really helped that that really opened a door for me to get in there and to to empathize with his performance. Mm. Hmm. I think maybe for me, it's it isn't that he's not locked in. Yeah, I, don't I think, agree. That's not yeah. exactly what I meant. I, I think I'm using the term. I mean, like, I think he's really good and ser- and serves this movie. OK, well. I think. Like, I, I've never seen Brendan Fraser half-ass anything. I don't know that yeah. he <laughs> has it in him. I think... I I can't place what it is, whether it's writing or direction, but something about the guy in this movie, um, committed Brendan Fraser performance though it is, something about him simply does not seem like the character from the first movie anymore and also tell me if i'm if i'm tripping balls over here but did he seem like 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 somehow younger to to either of you yeah like definitely yeah yeah very weird yeah maybe i don't know maybe like muscle loss or something like literally like he just might have been a little bit thinner than when he shot returns and Mm -hmm. also like I don't know how old Maria Bello is, but maybe the comparison between them, I'm not really sure. But I agree, Mm -hmm. there was, like, this weird element of, like, he looked, yeah, younger. He just looked like a, and that adds to the idea that it felt like a different person. I, like, that's the thing is that, like, I buy the difference as as a part of characterization. Like, Mm. he, to me, he seems like the same person, just, like, a little bit more frustrated and and a little bit more like pent up like he's got like like he he has shit that he really wants to do and like when he tries something and he's not good at it it makes him mad you know when he's fly fishing and he gets a hook in his neck which like that's a fucking (laughs) i laughed i laughed a bunch during the fishing scene he takes out a gun and starts shooting the fish best scene in the movie then later, Evie bites on the fish, and there's a freaking bullet in it because he <laughs> shot him. Baby, I got okay. And here's another thing: 
that's just like I'm probably wrong for this. Like I'm not going to sit here and be like I disagree with both of you about this because I'm wrong. I laughed at so many of the jokes in this what? movie. Like a whole lot of them really got me. Oh, we should uh <laughs> we should like just throw out the plot of this movie real quick. No, no, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Justify that opinion. Qualify that. What was a joke that was did you like when they were in the plane and he goes as to the yak yak? Why am I laughing? Did you like yeah, did you like that part? That was God. Wait, which one? Uh he's he's on the plane and uh the guy says, There are seatbelts on this plane, I couldn't afford them. Oh yeah. And Brendan goes, Haha, why am I laughing? That was ironically pj because i'm with you on the sentiment that you're on but that moment i was like brendan woke up like that is a moment that i did because he was like ha 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 like that like very like wide opened sarcastic moment let's be clear i did not laugh i did not i just i just noted that he was resuscitated for a just a brief moment out of just his disdain for who was speaking to him but i was couldn't have been more silent this whole film i'm sorry i know that's so mean dixon to be like well i didn't no. laugh but i just oh my gosh no i i like i completely recognize that um my my opinion of this film is like absurd and like i i you know my goal here is not to convince anyone that this movie is good cuz it's not like I, I completely respect uh, the both of you getting extraordinarily little out of it. Um, and I don't know why I got anything out of it. Uh, but, like, yeah, no, just something about it just, like, appealed to me. Did you know that Roger Ebert gave this movie three stars out of four? What? <laughs> he said it was his favorite in the series. That's mean, oh, that's and I'm angry. Up. No. I've, I fucking love Roger Ebert. When sometimes he just drops these fucking bombs. That's just, like, not true what <laughs> okay i'm sorry here's the thing breaking into his sarcophagus and taking the pulitzer out of there before, <laughs> before resurrecting him we do a summary i just want to quickly rick dying i remember both of you thinking that evie's death was cheap in the mommy returns which is totally fair this was cheap to me yeah. like so cheap rick mm. getting like stabbed and like it was just not not at all earned or believable. It wasn't even, like, the beat oh, yeah, yeah. in terms of, like, the three-act st- structure for him to, like, have that moment. I feel like it was, like, hella early. Yeah. And then and then when when he wakes up and sees Evie's face and he's like, if this is what heaven looks like, I'm gonna stay. And then they, like, make out. And then Alex comes in and Alex is like, some things never change. I was like... Oh, my God. They literally have not even, like... They they have been so unsexual to each other this entire time. The way that Rachel Weiss and Brendan Fraser looked at each other like was just like this. Just your just penet- your brain is penetrated. Like it was undeniable. And I think honestly that's the hugest qualm I have with this. Which again, like you said, Dixon is like. I I would venture I I do kind of like I don't love her performance and I know that she had a really hard task and I totally like sympathize with that but I also feel like it was it was like performative and it didn't feel like she was like connecting with him like it felt like very I felt like her very aware of the camera in in a way that like felt like very my fair lady instead of the mummy and yeah mm, that's a great way of putting it it just felt like a like a well-made play that she was in I think I think that's my biggest qualm is their relationship. There was no foundation to this film. 
Definitely. Like, and, and I will totally agree that, um, you know, the, the, the shining moments of the, the first two films pretty much all had to do with like a scene of be pretty much all were a scene of Rick and Evelyn together. Um, and like you, you, when it cuts to the both of them in this movie, I would sometimes got a little nervous because, you know, Maria Bello's energy in this movie is really It's odd. weird. Like she looks like manically happy hostage. Yeah, she she looks like um she she looks like she's kind of panicking. That's that's the sort of undercurrent yeah. of, of her performance. And again, I don't even know if that's her fault. Yeah. Like, is that writing? Is that the like? Oh wait, here's another uh thing. I'll probably agree with you on the visual. Uh, like, not necessarily the effects, but the visual look of this movie is dog water. Like, yeah, dude. It's it's like so just like kind of nothing nothing um with weird slow motion and freeze yes! frames and shit thrown in there I, I did not like that i did not care for it um okay so it's ancient it's ancient china um jet Li, one of the finest physical performers of this or any generation uh who is on the set for approximately three hours um <laughs> spends one of them in this prologue um where he plays uh this this ancient emperor um, the Dragon Emperor, he's constructing the Great Wall of China. Uh, he falls in love with this uh, woman. Witch. Um, witch, thank you. Uh, because it, who he dispatched his general to find because he wants to be immortal. Uh, she gets found. She gets brought back. He wants to marry her, but the general marries her. Um, he gets mad about that and gets a bunch of horses to just kind of run and run while they're holding parts of him. So he becomes many parts. And, uh, but then, uh, some clay starts spurting out of his eyes and he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and, uh, that was the witch. The witch did that. Um, cut to now, or 1946 and, um, and, uh, Alex O'Connell and more importantly, Alex O'Connell's completely impenetrable dialect. Southern boy raised in North Carolina. I was raised in London. <laughs> Excuse me, sir? Oh, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Liverpool, like where the Beatles are. <laughs> um, they, they dig up the ancient emperor, um, he and this professor, and then uh, em, the spies recruit Rick and Evie to be emissaries and bring the, um, the MacGuffin that activates the second MacGuffin to the third MacGuffin. Uh, which that's how the nation of China is treated, like as the th- as this big MacGuffin. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucked. Um, and then um, Yetis ensue. Oh <laughs> my god! I I stood up and cheered when sh- when the movie just decided <laughs> to put Yetis in it. Like nothing, absolutely nothing that gave even a hint, <laughs> even like the slightest bit of foreshadowing that there would be yetis. And this woman just runs off and says, the yetis will help. <laughs> and just like, hey, yetis. And they all pop up like Muppets. They look like cute. Like they're beautiful. And I'm like, fuck this. No, they don't belong here. Okay. And if they did belong here, that's not when like it wasn't earned we didn't just get to have that yet they feel like like weirdly cute i mean i i dig that they were gonna try to keep making new kinds of like international monster movies and that they were gonna try to keep finding like new ways of uh 
of of incorporating like creatures into it. Yeah. And the decision to use big cartoon uh furry yetis um from like a Japanese candy commercial yes. was a bold choice, but it actually honestly the the two things in this movie that I can sing the praises of are the scene of Brendan Fraser fly fishing, which I I, I wish that had been the whole movie. I wish it had just been like one long, like goofy cartoon from the fifties of Brendan Fraser trying to fish while the narrator who talks like this is teaching you how to fish. And he just keeps getting like hooks caught in his neck. It was that and the horrible cartoon yetis that are aware of football. Um, <laughs> they love football. The yetis do. I who can blame them. See Becky, I agree with you wholeheartedly that it wasn't earned at all, but I have to admire the chutzpah of throwing out the rules of screenwriting <laughs> and bringing in yetis 40 minutes into an hour and for into an hour and 40 minutes, revealing yetis exist. <laughs> they're our friends. <laughs> And they're down to help out. You just gotta tell them, like, who to fuck over. And, like, seventh grade will be so much easier. Is this guy bothering you? (laughs) Listen, I would fucking love a Yeti reveal had had the movie been anything up to that point. But I was already so far gone in my, like, disdain that I was like, no. Well, not that, right? Like, that can't be it. (laughs) But it was just so wild. Like, all of it was so wild. It really, yeah. There's so much excess in this movie um, in a way that I initially get behind. But like I said earlier, I'm not a huge fan of the last, like, once they get out of the the Yeti zone and start (laughs) heading to Shangri-La, I kind of, like, lose interest a bit. Because then it turns into this weird Lord of the Rings, like, battle sequence stuff that just feels like absolutely nothing. Um, But, like, what... The first half of this movie um, gets back to an element of the first movie, which is successful, which is ripping off Indiana Jones. Yeah. And, like, there are far worse movies to rip off. I I, I figured it out, actually. So this movie and the first one rip off Indiana Jones. The Mummy Returns is just ripping off The Mummy, Mm. which is a far worse movie than than any Indiana Jones Mm. Like, um, it, it, it feels, the, the first hour does feel like they're really trying to prove something, to prove that, like, this franchise has a place in, you know, the, the modern landscape. And the last hour or so seems to be like that was the intention, but they took all the wrong lessons from, like, what worked really well and what um, busted blocks. I think, like, it's, the, the Indiana Jones thing is, is, funny i think like on paper the the screenwriters um i think it's alfred goth and miles millar who are like real work for hire guys if you know them from something it's because they wrote the screenplay for uh shanghai noon and they created smallville um and they they've got like other screenwriting credits on on other things they are Two of a couple credited writers on Spider-Man 2. I don't know how much of their material actually made it into the thing, because I know a lot of that movie in its final pass was Alvin Sargent. Um, But they, like... I I think they do a lot of things right on paper to make this movie feel structurally legitimate as a mummy movie, um, and trying to make sure that it feels of a piece 
with the first two while pulling it away from Egypt, which if they were going to make a third movie, they were going to have to do eventually. And I, I even think um, the chase scene where they uh, go through Shanghai, just blowing shit up and, and destroying homes and businesses. Um, mm. I, that was, that was at least a part where I started to perk up and have a little fun. And it, it felt like, I mean, it feels like diet Steven Summers, but it, it does at least feel kind of like a mummy movie to me. Yeah. You mm-hmm. you said something that I really latched onto about how they're trying to prove that an Indiana Jones knockoff, <clears throat> excuse me, can can work in the modern era. And and this this brings me to something kind of interesting about the context that this movie um is is released into. So, Mummy is 1999, Mummy Returns is 2001, and then there's a seven-year gap, and this comes out in 2008, which is a... I I don't know about y'all, I thought that was, like, an awesome summer for, like, going to the movies. It was totally overcrowded, there was, like, a new gigantic thing every week. Um, it was my only summer during high school spent as an occupational girlfriend haver so maybe that was just coloring my attitude about the the world and movies but like 2008 is the summer of dark knight Mm. iron man uh ton of other shit like wally stepbrothers pineapple express kung fu panda um get smart um but this is dumped into early August um, when Dark Knight is still cleaning up. And and people aren't going to see a whole lot of movies that aren't the Dark Knight once that thing comes out. Because it, its shadow is just... It looms so fucking big. This is dumped at the end of the summer when no one's looking in August. Do you know what comes out at the beginning of the summer? And also doesn't really... It makes money, but it doesn't connect with audiences. Indiana Jones 4. This is the first time that a mummy movie is coming out the same summer as the franchise whose lunch it had been eating up until now. Right. And there... I mean, there are a lot of reasons that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which isn't isn't that bad. There's good stuff in that movie. Wonderful action in there. Um, There are a lot of reasons that that's not a movie that connects that summer. And I think part of it was that people were looking for a different thing. I mean, wisecracking throwback, um, like heroes from the the thirties and forties are not in fashion. People are showing up to see, um, high tech billionaires in a sort of quasi grounded world, um, dealing with, you know, either, you know, the Marvel version of, of like diet Al-Qaeda or, you know, the Joker who is, um, a sort of an amalgamation of like Christopher Nolan's idea of both terrorists and anarchists. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's, it's so interesting to me that they both come out this summer and neither of them can really take hold. That is very interesting. Do you think that like, uh, our sort of collective zeitgeist had fully shifted to like um, uh, wanting like you know because uh, 2008 feels very like the um, the sort of beginning of uh, like a f- cultural 
fascination with grim dark as an aesthetic like i think there were been precursors like um sin city batman um, begins and for sure yeah 300 also <laughs> uh, uh, but i think like that was sort of a ramping up point and then at 2008 that kind of seems to be like when that like you know knocked everything else uh off in king of the hill uh, at least that's just sort of based on like you know my hazy cultural memory. I was in an all boys boarding school, so like I was pretty detached from shit. So if I was if I'm wrong about that, feel free to um, you know uh, call me up on stage during a pep rally and you know uh, ask me to sing the tiger song. And then when I can, everybody goes like, Ooh. yeah. Well, maybe we'll try that. I don't remember it very 2008 very well. I didn't have a lot of freedom to go to the movies. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like, if um, my mom sat in the back, that'd be kind of chill. <laughs> Was it? <laughs> um, but, I so, I, and I have a terrible memory. I can really only remember T9ing my crush, you know? Huh? T9 texting? Oh, Pre keyboard, oh, oh, honey. Oh, 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 wow. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So I can do a couple wow. Gen Zers. <laughs> um,. <laughs> Okay, Nokia. Damn. Never had one. It's not about that. I had a Verizon Flippy. <laughs> Beg pardon. I was going to kind of move to a different direction, if that's all right. Please. I was going to talk about... So, like, ob- obviously I've already, like, screamed about the lack of, like, sexual chemistry and, like, love that I felt between Rick and Evie. But also, mm. I just feel like they really m- missed getting Evie right. Evie is an author now, which, okay, I mean, sure, but, like, Evie also, like, loved history, you know, like, Evie loved, like, academia and, like, studying, like, like, Mm -hmm. for her to be a, 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 a narrative, like, fictional writer, like, I could buy, but then I would also need to, like, see her go home and, like, devouring material that would, like, you know what I mean like support that mm-hmm. th- those dreams that that she's writing but instead she gets bored at her desk and starts swashbuckling the air that's not ever what Evie was about like Evie fought to f- save her family and like maybe got a little pleasure out of the fact that it was like from her you know former princess life <laughs> but <laughs> she was a nerd Evie was a nerd mm-hmm. and and a historian and a librarian and I don't get any of that energy from this and I think that that underserves all her relationships because then she's like this overly doting mother and then she's like this like wh- like she's not really connecting with her husband and then she stops in the middle of battle to be like darling would you ever have done anything differently and it's like, well, like, you might die right now. Like, maybe now is not the time to, like, have a little connection. I don't know. I just didn't. I just feel like the right the writing for her character, they really did um, Maria Bello, like, a disservice. I, if, if it, like, I know you expressed, uh, um, anger at this notion, but if they if they had if they had killed Evie or like had them divorce or something, if Maria Bello like was had pretty much all of these lines except was a different character, I feel like so much of this would be addressed because mm-hmm. like especially when you're marathoning these movies like we are, the the 
disconnect between the character of Evie in the first two movies and this Evie is like incredibly jarring and incredibly um god what the fuck is the name of the brechtian alienating effect it's it's like she's stopping uh mother courage to turn and scream at the audience you know like it, it, it's it's just suddenly like i am aware that i am watching a movie i am aware yeah. of like a, of like performance as That's a concept I, I i and like so it's really jarring if if they had just you know had rick looking fondly at a picture of evie on his desk and then maria bello comes in and that would also lend credence to like some of the lend, lend uh, you know not credence but you know what i mean to some of the family yeah, absolutely too. that would make much more you know warranted family family conflict but instead it's like rick didn't end up being a dad that could connect with his son which I suppose I can find that timeline, but it, the mm. way that it managed to play out felt false to me. I could yeah. I could even yeah. see that being a, a timeline or, or a, a, a plot line that would work, but it just didn't here. Like the fact that like he he as a dad just like didn't work out, and that and Alex was like we haven't been a family for a long time, just like lazily tossed in there. And it's like I don't I understand that you know we're jumping ten years. 10 years later or or more than that so like yeah they do have to sort of catch us up but i just couldn't that just felt uh, cheap to me a lot of telling not showing um in in that particular strife um i i know it it, i agree that it's underbaked but like i still i still appreciated it being there like just there being any sort of element of um of of not external conflict like they the uh, i like how brendan fraser's character has evolved and i in this third one and i particularly even though i don't buy the death scene whatsoever it felt like somebody who harm could come to again he didn't feel like a demigod uh like he did in returns he seemed like kind of a frustrated father who was like you know getting a little pissy and you know getting like the shit kicked out of him um, I, I hope he did not do the stunt where uh, the Dragon Emperor throws him into a, a brazier. That looked like, um, what is it, a brazier? I don't know. Um, uh, one, one of those huge, like, you know, uh, metal things you put fire oh, into. Oh, God, it was horrible. If if it wasn't Brendan Fraser, as some stuntman really fucking got it. it. That looked really, like you know genuinely damaging in in a way that like i think is informed by the context of knowing that brendan fraser was in super bad shape physically so like every time you see him like you know slide on the ground to grab his couple of guns and then you know whip around and it looks great in my head i'm just like oh man like i i can't imagine what you're physically going through totally yeah i mean obviously knowing the backstory with what we know now and Mm. like seeing what he does it just looks brutal truly and like yeah and there is some fun action in this like like pj like you were saying like that like when they're doing the car chase scene there's like some fun stuff there it's just all the stuff around it that uh, the reason i enjoy action is because i'm with the characters to begin with so it was just tough for me to to really strap in i think but yeah Mm. there was a lot of there was a lot of fun and respectable action that did happen. I there is one thing um you warned me about this, but I actually disagree. This was the most I've ever liked Jonathan. Like 
This mm. was the closest I ever felt to understanding his like purpose in the group and the script. I feel like he was doled out a lot more judiciously. Because like, <laughs> there was just less of him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, sure, there was still like the cutaways and then, you know, Rob Cohen be like, do something funny. <laughs> and like, you know, he just tried his best and it didn't work. But like, th- he seemed a lot more like paranoid and afraid and really not wanting to be there as opposed to just kind of like sweatily flailing around like a stretch armstrong going like whoa i'm in danger um like he seems to be like i really wish that none of this was happening right now like as opposed to just kind of be like you know i I basically just said the same thing two times in a row but yeah i i i it clicked for mm-hmm. me this movie in particular I can see that and I'm just glad you're on board because <laughs> I like him a lot <laughs> and I think I actually did think he was funny in this there was some moments that it was like again with me for me the the writing of just like that joke didn't land because the scene before it didn't land sort of um mm-hmm. but yeah he was really great and likable in this like I, I believe where he ended up I like that he was where he was at I like that he's just in China like owning uh you know what I mean? A casino. Or it wasn't a casino. What was it? It's just like a bar. Like a It was a, a night lounge. Right, right, with, right. Uh, with, with dancers and everything. It's called Imotaps. And oh, wait, the theme that's so, is... I didn't realize that. That's, re- that's cute. Oh, yeah. And the whole, the whole theme of the place is um, Egyptian kind of fetish stuff. Like kind of having a fetish for the place that they go to. Oh, I'm an idiot. I didn't even pick up on that. You're not an idiot. No. I think it's... Everybody call me an idiot in a row. Idiot. Stupid Stop fucking... She's hey, I just said She's idiot. So Stop. <laughs> All right. Now, Dixon, sing the tiger song. Um, T, 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 I, G, 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 E, R, S, T, I, G, E, R, S, tigers, tigers, tigers. Woo. Terrible institution. That was great. That was good. That was yeah. great. I feel really cheered up. I, I, re- I remember it because of... Uh, minor trauma anyway (laughs) no no well yes but like it's it's funny now (laughs) i love you i've decided that it's funny now (laughs) um alex was done a disservice to i think alex could have been a lot of cool things but he was just an underwritten plot device and had a girlfriend out of nowhere and they were already fighting before they were girlfriend and boyfriend and like both of them were as though they were girlfriend and boyfriend and just yeah dead on arrival for me mm-hmm. yeah uh, he like i don't know he's such a nothing he's such a shrug that like i i shrugged back <laughs> and was willing to just kind of let him happen Whatever he is, I can't tell you a fucking thing about his character. I don't think the actor did a particularly good job. I, was he trying to do an accent? I don't know. He was definitely British in Mummy Returns, but now he's like, I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, sure, man. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I just kind of like went along with it. You know, it's just kind of like you're you're like the the person who's like the least of the friends in the group you're wandering around town with and they decide to go to a restaurant you've heard good things about and you didn't really participate in the discussion but also like okay yeah we'll go exactly and that's my problem this is alex o'connell rick o'connell and evie o'connell's son this is the this is their prophecy and 
you know, that's me saying that. <laughs> and and <laughs> and he was nothing. And that's my issue is that he he didn't do anything. He is a he is the the culmination of like in like academia and intelligence and 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 brilliance and bravery and courage and like fighting and like he wasn't any of that in this. I am I I like uh I, I don't mean this in, in like, a, a mean way. I, like, I don't know at what point this story afforded you that opinion of Alex O'Connor. Because, like, in the last movie, he's just, like, this fucking piece of shit kid. I don't think he's a piece of shit kid <laughs> at all. I think that in the last movie, he was eight. So, mm. or, so, so like, we don't know who he was going to be. But he was really sassy to a fucking scary guy who wanted to kill him. He was super brave. And he outsmarted them for a long time and allowed his parents to find them. Like, even if he annoyed you because of his personality, I do think that there was a lot to him that showed promise. But you're right. He he wasn't those things I just described. But what I described was what could have been. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, that makes sense. That makes sense. Those are the parents I fell in love with. And, like, they were so passionate and they loved their son so much. He could have been those things. He just was like... Mm-hmm found this tomb kind of (laughs) convenient like that's how it felt and then he was like i'm gonna fight for my girlfriend even though she won't talk to me (laughs) it was just like you guys aren't girlfriends he he grew up into a a a fine young screenplay um (laughs) he really is just like this character is the lines that he has like it's absolutely wild um i I think that's uh, this it's like the same sensation as the Yetis to me, where I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right, yeah, sure, man. Yeah, that's that's me with this movie is like, okay, man. Sure. Like, that's how I feel about it. In, in, in like a slightly positive lilt kind of way. Not like, not like, okay, man. Like, okay, man. I think there there's something about um, the way this movie treats um, China that is markedly different from the way the the first two movies regard like egypt and egyptian mythology and there there are a couple things contributing to that one of them is that by 2008 like studios are more aware than ever of how much money shit can make overseas and that that's where you're gonna make a lot of your money that has really changed movies in a lot of ways like kung fu panda comes out in 2008 and it, it does like pretty fucking well in the states it does incredible in china and mm. and we're seeing more and more things that are like i mean for one this movie actually has some intention of being palatable and profitable with a population of people who live in the country that the characters are plundering right um, there's there's <laughs> also like this was a a chinese co-production um this was universal pictures and i think it's called the the shanghai company i'm forgive me i'm getting the name of that wrong but like um mm-hmm. it shot in china um it went through a couple passes with um it, some some division of the chinese government to make sure um that it was like fairly depoliticized i mean the the dragon emperor in this movie is kind of um loosely based on um on chin shi huang who was the first emperor of china he was he was the person who got buried with the terracotta army 
um, which were, you know, painstakingly made sculptures of his army. Um, and there are all kinds of movies that are made about him. One of them is is Hero with Jet Li, um, where he plays the guy who was going to assassinate him. And in this movie, he's playing that emperor. Um, and and they, they both can't get um, exotified and like, ooh, spooky ooky, um, <laughs> enough for you to have the kind of like, the kind of rush of, um, of, of mystery that, uh, the first two mummy movies provide to my stupid, uh, idiot Western brain. Um, (laughs) but it's, I like a lot of the, the mythology here. I think, um, setting this thing in China was like, um, a very, like an interesting call. Um, but it's actually, uh, do you know what they were going to do after this? Were they going to go to Peru? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were, it was going to be like, like ancient, ancient Aztecs. And, uh, do you know who was going to be the villain? No. I'll give you a hint. Dwayne. No. The Rock. Johnson. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> He's not from that part of the world. Okay, so that really narrows it down. Uh, yeah, um, not from... Who do I know who does not, not from, from Peru? Peru? Not from there, but to to white Western American audiences and dumb studio heads, seems in their heads like he would be. Antonio Banderas. Antonio George Banderas. Lopez. Did you guys hear me say George Lopez, though? I did. I did, yeah. <laughs> Imagine him as, like, a scary villain in, like, a supernatural, like, monster movie. I want to see that so much, and I also think I don't know that it could work for me, but I want to see it mm. so much. I I'm torn between that and not wanting to see them do what they do to Jet Li in this movie. Mm. Yeah, he he is barely on screen. Mostly, it's just like a bunch of CGI, um, you know, goop walking around. Um, sometimes it's fire, sometimes it's clay, sometimes he's a lion, sometimes goop, he's though. a three-headed dragon. It's good goop. I like the goop. Good goop work. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I love Gwyneth Paltrow's <laughs> pussy. Um, <Whoa>. sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was... <laughs> we were all thanking it, okay? <laughs> Just came pouring out, that's not... I am the crystal egg inside of Gwyneth Paltrow's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy three, tomb uh, of the yoni egg. What kind of eggs are they? Jade. Sorry, keep going. Um, <laughs> and uh, fuck. What the hell was that? Jet Li. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. J- um. Um. He like. He's. He's. He himself like non CGI'd is probably in this movie for a total of three mm-hmm. minutes, and. In every one of those three minutes, he is a very compelling Agreed. presence. Like, he, like, you can absolutely tell, like, you know, because he barely, like, fights in this movie, which is a strange tactic to employ when you have Jet Li in your movie. But, like, he's still just, like, sort of mastered physicality in such a way that, like, in the prologue when he's just, like, you know, kind of arching his eyebrow or, like, smirking a little. Like, it it just conveys a whole lot of information about this guy. And it's, like, it's such a waste that, like, his physical self is not in this movie more. And when it is, um, 
I, I totally vibe with uh, the Entertainment Weekly article, uh, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor and How China Came to Hollywood, that you sent us, PJ. That is by Darren uh, Franich, um, where he was just talking about the ridiculousness of uh, the sword fight. It's like... Between him and Zi Yuang? It's, it's absurdly... Po- it, I can't think of a worse-looking thing yeah. that I've seen. Like, it's, it's incredibly poorly shot. And, like, it, it, every cut is done in such a way as to remove the potential power and beauty of two martial artists, like, doing their yeah. thing. It's, it was flabbergasting. Well, okay, so I have, like, (laughs) I'm going to show my hand a bit and, like, admit he was in this film so little. I was like, who is that guy on the fucking, like, horseback? Like, I literally didn't even know who he was until she took the sword as she fell. And then I was like, oh, that was him. Yeah. Like, he's not, is he himself on screen between the prologue and like the last 10 minutes of the movie i don't think he is like it's just an incredibly baffling decision about this character at all let alone when he's being played by jet fucking lee and the last fight is terrible it's just the last fight and i just want to be clear that the moral of this film is divide and conquer (laughs) hey fight like a man (laughs) and then he was like okay that's enough reason for me as the immortal emperor to be like all right i'll level with it i'll just use my fists like no (laughs) and then rick stabs him with half of the sword that broke for no reason, the sword should not have broken. And then Rick <laughs> stabs him in the front, and Alex stabs him through the back, and then the sword meets in the middle through his heart, and then he dies. And I, I, I shuddered. My, I shed my skin. They do a CGI, like, they oh. zoom into his body, and, like, you see his heart getting pierced by both of these. It's, it's like the scene in The Simpsons where you see the x-ray of Homer's heart speeding up and slowing down yes. when he thinks he's getting fired and not. It is the silliest fucking thing it's, I've ever it's seen. It's absolutely it, terrible. It's unforgivable honestly <laughs> this this movie breaks so many rules not just of its own franchise but of just like movies in general <laughs> like the last gag i laughed so hard at this because this is in defiance of everything i know about movies jonathan goes like God. i'm going to peru where there are no mummies and t- <laughs> and text pops up on the and screen and it says there's mummies there it it's a Later, they discovered mummies in Peru. Like, <laughs> that is just... Simpsons episode. I was so sour by then. Like, there was no joy that I took from that. I literally was just like, it was just more salt just poured into my bleeding open wound. I was, I was belly laughing. Ugh. I was I was hooting on my love seat. <laughs> this is the funniest shit. It, all of the humor in this movie feels wrong. It feels yes. out of step with, I mean, we talked so much on our mummy episode about how humor works in that movie and, and the way that this kind of like pattery old school throwback, 
like one-linery dialogue like really gives it like its sense of place that it's it's this period piece that itself feels kind of old school and all of the all of the action movie one-liners in this all of the jokes feel like a a very very humorless director um trying to find places where like a punch-up person can can have them say like Oh, um, Brendan, before you fire the gun, say, let's give him a warm O'Connell welcome. Like, that's a thing, but it's not. Yes. the end text gag feels like in in a different movie or a movie with, like, a different, more well-maintained tone. Like, that would have hit the fucking spot. And as it, like, I I get kind of like a you gotta be kidding me chuckle out of it just because, like, it, it does feel so out of place and it's such a bonk on the head like dumb like like end of a family guy episode joke um but (laughs) it i i don't know i remember walking out of the theater uh from seeing this because you know me and my friends just needed something to go do and there was a time where movies were the thing that you would go to do so you would you would see what's play. I know, I know that's unthinkable now. Um, and we were, we were just walking out and that, that got a big collective groan from the audience. And I remember (laughs) it it got a, it got a really, really, there were laughs, but there were, there was also a collective sense in the not well populated theater of it ends and, and Randy Edelman's really annoying music comes up. Um, and everyone just kind of went, ugh, okay. All right, we're we're not we're not doing any more of these. We're we're done with this. Let's, <laughs> let's let's get out of the crime scene. I guess that guy really didn't like mummies. I I wondered for I. It's funny. I actually it's kind of funny. I wondered for a second if he liked mummies, but then yeah. he uh, kind of clarified that for me at the end. I just it's I just really thought the that was of the film. Funny. Yeah, does he like them? Yeah, does, you know, does, does he? Like he yeah, that that's just something I wish they had addressed. Uh, <laughs> Like it's it's kind of getting you know the silence is deafening at this point as to whether or not Jonathan likes mummies <laughs> and wants to be in a place with them. I can I bitch about Randy Edelman for just a second because I don't I don't have a whole lot to say about the score, but I don't want to save it for last because because um, we we gotta we gotta get into some some heavy in in a in a minute here, but um, mm-hmm. Randy Edelman is probably like a like a respectable composer and and you know he's been doing his thing i guess he does he does good work uh he is not one of my guys really um he's he's got an interesting imprint um between like the mid late 90s to like the mid 2000s if there was a trailer for a drama about adversity they were going to use his score from either uh, Dragonheart or Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, um, which, go figure, are both directed by Rob Cohen, the director of this movie. Because if there are three things that Rob Cohen loves to do, it's work with Randy Edelman, uh, it's have the word dragon in the title of his movies, and uh, the third one is do sexual assaults to people. I, Randy Edelman's, sorry, uh, fuck Rob Cohen. Uh, yeah, big time. Yeah. yeah f- I, fuck that guy. Just, uh, 
dog shit. Yeah, and you know, for all of my like limp uh, defenses of this movie, you know, it is like a, a probably like. This, the fact that this exists, you know, gave this guy money and power, and the world would be better off if it didn't. Fuck this movie. Fuck Rob Cohen. At the end of the day, I, I wonder. I wonder how much power and prestige he got from. He got money, and he shouldn't get any. But I, I don't know that this <laughs> movie. You didn't put him, him on the map. Put, a, put him at the top of the Hollywood <laughs> heat. I um, you know, there were there were other movies in his career that had done that. I think. I mean. Starting the Fast and Furious franchise will will do that for you. Um, mm-hmm. Randy Edelman's music in this movie sounds like music for a mummy parody, or or it sounds like like characters in a sitcom go to a movie theater and you don't see the screen; you're just facing the audience, and it's kind of overlit. And they get in an argument, and someone in the audience is like, "Hey, you in front, quiet down." And Randy Edelman's music from this movie is what's playing. I and I don't I don't know I can't qualify this at all. I I really don't have the vocabulary for it. But he has this really dumb, really really dumb hero theme that that kind of just sounds like like training video music for like a Costco. And I kept wondering like when I show people jerry goldsmith music or alan silvestri music and i'm like isn't this beautiful is this what it sounds like to them like like is 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 the difference between these perceptible to anyone but me but his music was really adding to this feeling of like uncanny magic cannot be recaptured just doom and gloom yeah a little bit yeah it it feels like a weirdly dishonest score i mean you know what's funny though the action set pieces have pretty good music those are all fine come to find out um a lot of his music for those scenes got thrown out and at the last second they had john debney from spy kids 2 come in to rewrite tons and tons of music um i think he recorded something like like, i want to say like two hours or 90 minutes of music in i i don't remember how many days he had like no time and he because he's just one of those guys and he can just bang out like really really good um like movie score in a very short period of time he was like uh they were like bring in the specialist certainly not randy edelman and when the movie ends and there's this like um royalty free graduation music like playing over the credits <laughs> i not nothing made me feel more tired nothing in the yeah. world am i losing my marbles like was did something about this sound cheaper to either of you no i i agree and that is a great way of putting it because i think sort of like I don't understand. This movie had a wild budget. I think it was 145 million, I want to mm. say. I don't know how it looks and sounds as low rent as it does. Yeah. Like the money is is not on the screen. Yeah. Um I I it there is something distinctly um like asylum video <laughs> about it. In in a way that's like hard to quantify. It's just yeah, it just it it does the movie does feel a little odd. It does feel a little odd. For all of the faults of Return, it's like 
very committed to the lane it's in, I think. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is trying to be in a lane and it's not in any of them. And then it's just like this like uh, sort of miscalculated, confusing energy that none of us have really been able to like, you know what I mean? Like put a put, yeah. put like words to. Um, I think that we should also speak to like some of the racism in it for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. That yin and yang joke just Jesus. sobering and just <laughs> terrible. Like, I, I was texting the group, I think, like, right before it got to a oh, joke yeah. where uh, Rick O'Connell lear- learns that a general is named Yang and then uh, refers to uh, his partner as Yin. Uh, I, I, like, a minute had just texted, like, uh, the the shoe's gonna drop on the racism yes, any second. They like, can't. They. It's just like it's just like when you put your uncle in a new environment, and you're just like you're gonna fuck <laughs> it up any second. I just know you are. You know. When you airdrop your <laughs> uncle into a new environment, <laughs> when you send him out in a fucking frog suit to infiltrate. You know, when you're doing <laughs> exposure therapy to your racist uncle. <laughs> um. I I really love what you were saying earlier, also PJ about like just all the jokes feeling off nothing felt earned everything felt mucky and like indistinct from one another and i was missing the decisiveness though however silly they may have been of the first of the first two films i think that makes sense Mm -hmm. did it make Um, sense i kind of forgot i was talking no no it it really did um and i think end of day uh, I I like ninety percent agree with you. I do think that this movie is like not confident. I do mm-hmm. think it's like veering wildly from thing to thing and like you know cramming emotional beats in spaces where there shouldn't be those and other things like that. But I think the reason that I glom onto this movie just a tad bit more than I glommed onto Returns is because of like the wild swings and like the attempts at trying something um there like i i there is and this movie doesn't feel slick to me it feels monstrous and lumpy mm-hmm. um and misshapen in a way that like i can kind of vibe with because like there are just so many swings eventually one of them is going to connect with the ball and for me the yeti <laughs> um, <I'll run. laughs> i don't i don't know what the fuck y'all were talking about with the jokes because there's a yak in the plane and oh, then the God yak throws up and then somebody <laughs> says jonathan what's wrong and he says the yak yacked and i'm not being sarcastic i fully laughed out loud unironically I thought that was you funny. You love Jonathan when I don't want you to. Your <laughs> <laughs> yeah, monkey's paw finger curls down. They had to build a yak puppet. Yeah. And they had to find a way to get a yak <laughs> into the scene because Alfred Goff went up to his pal, Miles Millar, and he told him, hey... I I was I was just like on the subway and I like held my breath for too long and I I started seeing spots and I passed out and when I got back up I I was thinking yak yak a yak what if a yak yaked and then I was like dude 
I that crazy idea. We could put that in the fucking movie, dude. Like we could. What if what, what if there was like a scene where the fucking like there's a yak and then like it throws up and someone's like, yeah, what happened? He go, he go, he go like the yak, the the yak yacked. And then we both checked our wallets and there was more money in them <laughs> than there was. Oh, Bad vibes. Yeah. Um. So I I guess uh, we, we should. should probably start talking about start talking Brendan the real bad vibes. Um. What? God damn it. Uh. One of the reasons that I was really excited about a chance to talk about the Mummy series is that I am extremely fascinated with not just Brendan as an actor and how weird he is. Um. Hard to use right. Um, not just his career and the weird peaks and valleys of it, but above all, the public's relationship with him, which I think has gone through a lot more change than he has. Um, and I think the ways that we react to Brendan Fraser at a given point, I, I think they say something. Um, so I, I have a little bit of a, a timeline here with everything that happens between these mummy movies and some noteworthy things that happen after it. So Mummy Returns comes out in 2001 and it turns a gigantic profit. It is one of the most profitable things that Universal has and they want to keep making mummy movies. They want to keep making Stephen Summers movies. That's why they give him the keys to the Universal monster movies so that he can make um, a, a turd that's very dear to my heart called Van Helsing. Uh, the Mummy ends up having uh, a ride in Universal Studios. It opens around like 2004, and Brendan Fraser, not as Rick O'Connell, but as Brendan Fraser, hosts the pre-show of the thing. And it's it's weird and comic, and he's like pretending to yell at a PA, but he was a, a fixture of this profitable thing that they were trying to hold on to. Um, you know, there was this whole gestation period where Summers was too exhausted by Van Helsing to gear up for another big blockbuster. Rachel Weiss doesn't uh, come back citing issues with the script and feeling weird about the aging up of Alex, feeling weird about having to play a mom to someone that's not that much younger than her. Um, and... It's a, it's a case of a sequel that there was some demand for that gestated just too long until there wasn't any. 2008 was supposed to be Brendan's big comeback year. Um, he had three movies come out that year. He had Mummy 3, he had Journey to the Center of the Earth 3D, which he's a producer on, and Inkheart. And he, none of Oof. those... Inkheart eventually makes back its budget. It underwhelms, but none of those things are financially disastrous they all make money they just don't connect mm -hmm. um and this was supposed to be this guy coming back and people seemed to say frankly what i said when i left the theater when i saw tomb of the dragon emperor which was fuck this guy we're not doing this anymore this is grating this is annoying um but there are some things that led up to this attempted remounting. 2001, Brendan is in Mummy Returns and Monkey Bone. And between 
2002 and 2007, he tries to find traction. Um, he's in Looney Tunes Back in Action, which, go figure, is Jerry Goldsmith's last score. Um, wow, that tanks. That. that doesn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. He tries to, f- like, find his way in a bunch of dramas, like a Harrison Ford movie called Extraordinary Measures. He is really awkward in um, a bad movie called Crash that naturally won Best Picture. Um, Who was he very... in that again? He's a... Is he a cop in that movie? No, is he? He was one of the cars. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, it, is the movie about a car crash? It's about a car named Crash. He plays the titular character. It's about race crashing <laughs> and experience. It's, it's a, it is a headache. And, um, yeah. mm. uh, naturally... It, uh, basically, someone who sexually assaults someone else becomes a hero, and we're supposed to like root for him. Oh, a, great. a rapist, actually, if I'm, to be clear. Fucking hell! What's the matter? Too nuanced for you? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that movie! I just can't take the heat. Yeah, no, it's fucking. <laughs> I remember seeing that when I was young and being like, "Whoa!" Like you know, because I hadn't been exposed to certain themes like that. But it is such fucking bullshit. Like, yeah. Anyway. I mean, he he tries to find a lane in movies that aren't yeah. these like big broad comedies or big blockbusters. Was he the politician in it? Oh, I think he was actually. I think yeah. he was the politician to, and Sandra Bullock was his wife. Yeah, he he feels alien in that movie. He doesn't. I forgot he was in it. To yeah, be frank. Yeah. Um. I mean. Here is one of the the things that happens during this time is in 2007. One of the things about the public image thing is that there are there are things going on in his life that are public record that people dunk on him for a lot. Now, there's another thing that was happening in his life that doesn't become public until fairly recently. We'll get to that, but One of the things that was public was in 2007, he begins divorce proceedings with his wife, Afton Smith. This is, this is where it starts to become kind of sticky. Um, There was a period on the internet where the men's rights community, like the, the like men's rights activists guys um, had really latched onto Brendan Fraser because one of their main things is that Mm. uh, they see like, alimony payments as as this form of like structural violence that like hurt men um and and they found exactly what they were looking for in the story of the payments that this guy was having to make he and afton smith had three kids together um what i what i read was that um during the proceedings he claimed to not have money due to not having any definite movie deals at the time um and the agreement is that he has to pay $900,000 a year to support the three kids. In 2013, he appears in court to ask for the child support to be reduced because he tells them that he can't pay it anymore. Um, his ex-wife accuses him of fraud, claiming that he was hiding $9 million in new movie contracts when they settled their divorce four years prior and he claims that he didn't mention movie deals when their custody agreement was going on because he hadn't made them now he acknowledged 
the movies that he appeared in in the divorce. But here's one of the other reasons that he can't pay $900,000 a year. The movies that Brendan Fraser is appearing in um, are putting him through the physical ringer. And he is starting to have a lot of medical issues that put a dip in his finances and also hurt his ability to snag the kind of big roles that he used to be able to. Um, his lawyer in 2012 said that he had $24.7 million in, in assets. I am broke and I don't know what any of these amounts of money mean. Um, and, and who am I to say whether or not he was able to like pay whatever, but I also know that this guy was getting a lot of surgeries, which included a partial knee replacement, a laminectomy, and vocal cord surgery. Yup. He is very, very publicly going through a lot. And after 2008, which is like the last year where he is physically in the kind of shape that he can do like shirtless scenes in a mummy movie, um, after the divorce after all of the alimony stuff um things start happening where one he 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 happens to put on a lot of weight um he starts having slightly more visible hair loss and among other things he just starts to seem kind of weird in interviews one of the very first like cruel memes that brendan fraser was the subject of and the butt of the joke in was uh, he went to the 2010 Golden Globes. Um, De Niro had made some joke on stage that got not that much of a laugh. The camera cuts to Brendan Fraser in the audience. And in kind of true Brendan fashion, he has this very big, weird laugh with this strange clap and this, this point at De Niro that became one of the first circulated a celebrity is acting weird gifs that kind of circulated around Reddit. 2010 is also the year that Furry Vengeance comes out, a movie that he produces that has a pseudo-environmental message, but mainly centers around CGI and puppet animals attacking him and causing him physical pain. I haven't seen a lot of slapstick comedies that feel that much like a religious Catholic movie in terms of physical penance as furry vengeance to the degree that it starts to feel not good. I, and again, there's like the egolessness of him yeah. as an actor is one of the things that allows him to go for it. But it also starts to get, it starts to get scary. Yeah. And, you know, 4chan MRA people have latched onto the divorce proceedings and have made him kind of their avatar and have started generating this sort of like resentment fueled save brendan's career like petition thing um but also they're also constantly dunking on him especially on 4chan in 2014 um i don't know how much either of you are familiar with it but there was a meme called just fuck my shit up oh yeah yeah and it wasn't just on 4chan it was also on tumblr and the image is like, it's a picture of Brendan Fraser at a movie premiere where someone has edited him to look like he has bloodshot eyes and advanced hair loss. And and it is just used as this shorthand for like, it, it was like a, like a pre-Joker 
like I'm I'm over the edge, just fuck my shit up kind of joke. Um, and I, I, I don't know what the fuck it is about all of the things about this guy that became an acceptable target for humor. Maybe, maybe it's just that he's like, well, you know, he's a straight white guy and an actor and presumably has a lot of money. So, I mean, chances are he'll probably be fine, but there was this part of what made it acceptable was that outdated things are funny and someone who used to be, you know, a famous person who's not anymore and they feel like themselves like an outdated pop culture item, that feels safe. And so people were just fucking ruthless about this guy who, as we now know, was going through a lot of really intense mental health shit in public. I I don't know. I, I have all kinds of thoughts about, like, jokes about hair loss and and the breadth of people that that actually can hurt um but it's like this this was like a person who was going through trauma yeah but it felt Mm -hmm. safe and okay to to rip on this guy and late 2016 uh he he shows up in this aol interview to promote this Showtime series that he was on called The Affair. And it was recorded days, mere days, after he had buried his mom. So he appears in this interview and is visibly just breaking in front of people in public in the way that I am grateful I only have to ever imagine. I The, the, the thought of being a famous actor is something that is terrifying to me. Um, and, and going through all of this shit on a stage where people can make memes about a day when you were kind of manic and kind of acting weird, or you did a weird thing with your hands, or you were crying because your mom died and people were like, what's his deal? Is he just sad that he's not in movies anymore? Yeah. But a, a contingent of the internet that was now bigger than just like men's rights people had kind of leapt to be protective of this guy. Some of it is kind of patronizing, kind of weird, um, in that they feel like they need to save this guy. Um, And they started a petition to try to get him a movie career again, because that's how movie careers work, is you can just be like, well, dude, change.org, there's a petition. Um, But people had suddenly started to talk and act about this guy a little differently and with although patronizing at least some degree of compassion um and then 2018 rolls around he pops up in some tv um danny boyle gives him a very 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 juicy role on the fx show trust um and he starts doing a voice in the show doom patrol But really, the chapter in the story there is that um, a GQ article by Zach Barron, an incredible piece, where if if the stuff that we're talking about on this episode is interesting to you, um, you've probably already read that article. But if you haven't, go check it out. It's a really, really great piece of profile writing um, that talks about um, his career building up to that point. It talks about 
what had been going on in his life about his his kids and his relationship with them about how he'd been dealing with trauma content warning sexual assault the other thing that's revealed in this article is that in 2003 um at a golden globe ceremony um the president of the hollywood foreign press association philip burke sexually assaulted brendan fraser um you can look up the details of what that physically constituted um but it was to fraser's account legitimately rattling in in like a like a mental way yeah um destabilizing he had tried to seek some form of recourse and was not taken seriously um and it starts to color all of the different forms of stress that he is under during that period of time a little differently in a way that you can sympathize with yeah a little bit more directly and now we've come around to i mean brendan is kind of launching a comeback there's a darren aronofsky movie that he's going to be the star of that sounds bad but mm-hmm. it that's also a perfect director to to rediscover him but he hasn't really had the official comeback yet and yet the public has started to reclaim him and reclaim being fans of brendan fraser fans of him now fans of his earlier work um because it seems like we feel a little bit differently about him and i i think uh i i i i'm i'm really trying here but there's something about like brendan fraser had never been an action star he he loomed so large in mummy one and two and was on so many posters for so long that we took him for granted and people seemed to think that there was this inherently funny joke of oh the movie star got fat the action star doesn't look like an action star anymore he's squishy he's losing his hair he's sad about his divorce i think there's something to 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 go there about it i think there's something interesting about the way that like the patriarchy in theory it protects men and it, it 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 affords men all kinds of like very very real uh systemic privilege um the the facets of which are gigantic but i think one of the things that's interesting about it is that the protections that the patriarchy offers you if you were born with a dick are incredibly conditional and they're incredibly fragile and it is interesting to me that it takes so little for for a guy who was in some way made vulnerable to be a fucking joke to yeah. people. You're not pretty anymore. We're getting rid of you. You're discard. You got assaulted. You're a joke, dude. Oh, what? You're sad about it? Fuck you. Yeah. Also, you're not funny in these movies anymore. And and that was so predominant and so entrenched that I think that's all we do with actors and all we do with celebrities is project our shit onto them and do our best to imagine what's going on with them and imagine a relationship with them. And there are parts of that that are icky. There are parts of it that are inevitable. And I think maybe that's part of what makes us newly protective of this guy is that 
here was this this suffering person who was treated like a joke because he never lived up to the action star, which he never really was. But then you go back and you look on what Brendan Fraser actually was when he was at the height of his powers. You you go back and you see the himbo thing, which people are obsessed with now. It's like so much of the juice of the Marvel thing is like anytime there's like a big, broad, muscular guy who's also kind, it's like all over again. We just can't believe it um, because in, in the real world, we know that there are so many men out here who look like this big strong thing but what's valuable about them is something softer and that's what's special about brendan fraser is that here was this person who was occupying these roles where a guy in this big broad uh, tough guy body is is looking up with doe eyes at leslie mann and is asking what mean embarrassed <sighs> or or maybe he's a slightly more vulnerable, pissy action hero in in The Mummy than you would necessarily expect. Or in Gods and Monsters, where he's Ian McKellen's yard guy, who turns out to have all of these layers of sensitivity to him that no one had been looking at. The reason I think our changing relationship with Brendan Fraser is interesting is that for everything that is fucked up about our culture and for everything about us now that I'm sure in 10 years we'll look back and be like, what the fuck was wrong with us? I do think we have rounded this corner on being able to appreciate something about not just men, but more broadly, anyone who's born with a dick. We're able to honor this thing where the things that make you sensitive and squishy and vulnerable are valuable and important and should be valued and protected and held on to and now without brendan fraser even having to like come back in movies we love this guy more than ever because we kind of love what he represents yeah. mm -hmm. and i i i don't know i think we see him now i think now we finally see him and Maybe it's that he doesn't look like the action hero anymore. And in these interviews, he's still extremely Brendan. He's both kind of sophisticated and like verbose, but also kind of a goober and also kind of a huge dork. And he reminds you of like a dorky mom and he's kind of awkward, but it's enchanting. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's like we're seeing the real him finally. Yeah. We're, we're seeing the thing that had been magically by accident transplanted into a himbo body and i don't know if this is making any kind of sense no no sense. i agree i i also think that especially like pop culture in general this applies to but i think especially with regards to movies um in the years since 2008 our relationship with pop cultural ubiquity has changed completely and i remember one of the reasons that people began to turn on brendan fraser was because he was everywhere particularly in 2008 when he had the ink heart mummy um journey to the center of the earth trifecta and you just could not escape this guy at least for you know my generation people who were 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 around then or 17 or 13 or 12 or 18, 
um, there, there was like there was no greater sin than being yeah. everywhere. Because, like, if you liked the thing that was everywhere and easily approachable and graspable, that meant that you weren't cool. Like, you you just didn't have, like, you didn't have taste if you liked this thing because it was everywhere. And our our relationship with that, I think, has completely yeah. changed. Um, and in, in large part due to... Um, how franchises work now. And I think the mummy just, just missed its ability, like in terms of the decade to, to, to extend itself by virtue of it, just being something that people recognize. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's a great observation. All of that. Um, I was going to say that I think also now the same people who were probably shitting on him have literally grown up a little bit and like suffered yeah. in mm. the adult world and and I feel like a lot of it is like an apology. I don't know. I personally n- never did shit on him. I actually kind of missed the era where people did. I just happened to like not be in that internet circle of or and I I feel like I just mm. didn't see it that much. But I feel like uh, whoever's doing that is apologizing <laughs> in this like realization it's like oh, like, that's happening to me, too, right now. Like, I'm getting older and sadder, and, like, I'm a fucking piece of shit for projecting all of that onto someone who I don't even know. And I think also a part Mm. of the reason that people did project that onto him was because he wasn't, like, an internet voice at all. Like, he was, like, this, like, early star, and he had no, like, personality on... I'm, I'm guessing... This is, like, me totally talking out of my ass, but, like, on Twitter or anything, like, he wasn't anywhere. So it was, like, this amorphous idea of a human that they could just, like, be mean at. And and yeah. then, like, re- mm-hmm. seeing the repercussion of that, I think everybody just got sorry. Yeah. That's that's also a great point. I, I know. I know I am. I know I took my... I took part in my fair share of, like, you know, completely pointless bashing of this guy. And I did, too. I, I, yeah, yeah. I feel a little torn up about it. Um, then you're a living, breathing example of that, and that's great. Well, it's it's weird because I haven't struggled, though. Okay. Like, I haven't, <laughs> as an adult, like, it's kind of since I graduated college, I've been pretty sure of my direction. You got really rich, right? Yeah, yeah. I moved <laughs> I moved out of Chicago because I had conquered the city, basically. <laughs> oh, I was like, Everyone oh. knew my name. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved back to my parents' apartment in Richmond, Virginia to get humble again. <laughs> that is weird then that you turned like you know you kind of turned a new leaf when you were doing so hot so it's interesting yeah yeah i decided to go bald <laughs> <laughs> i do i do want to make one quick note and i think it's obvious that we as a podcast believe that gaining weight losing hair changing your appearance yeah. is morally neutral and doesn't matter and you are valid no matter how you look but yeah. you are extra valid if you have eyes that are one centimeter too far apart <laughs> because I love you, Brandon. <laughs> I, I, I want to, the, the very short version is dudes rock. Um, but the, the rock. other part of it is um, if, if you have ever had to be in a position where the things you are going through are visible to other people. In, in a place where it can become jokeable or or if you are you know a guy or or you were born with a dick and you're kind of still figuring out what you are yeah um, and you had this this unreal idea 
pushed on you this this shape that you were supposed to fucking fit in um and it turned out that the things that make you you or separately from that trauma that you've had to endure and survive didn't fit into that then fuck the fucking mold and i i don't i don't even know if this is going anywhere um my my unwavering support and and loyalty and solidarity um with survivors of assault everywhere um but particularly for this story for male survivors out there um and for anyone who's ever felt like they're been made to think that their sensitivity was not the best part of them Mm. um all of my love in the world to you and uh yeah next we're gonna talk about a tom cruise movie (laughs) (laughs) Another celebrity has just really been through it. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking hate Tom Cruise. Oh. My last tag on that Brendan story is that they tried to make a Mummy Woo movie without him because they took for granted that, like, no one wants to see that or it couldn't work. And then they do a Mummy movie in 2017 with Tom Cruise and all anyone can fucking talk about is where's Brendan Fraser? Yup. Mm-hmm. Don't come crying to me now, bitch. Like the <laughs> biggest movie star, like inarguably, like the biggest movie star that's on earth right now. Yeah. And everybody was like, where the fuck is Brendan <laughs> Fraser? Something changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's the biggest star, but he's, you know, not that big. He's five foot. Um, uh, here are my rankings. Uh, so number one, obviously the mummy, um, just like, yeah, a doy. Um, but I do think Tomb of the Dragon Emperor is going to take my number two slot. Um, I just like found a little bit more to to glom onto to to be baffled by, um, as opposed to The Mummy Returns, which I'm going to put in third now. Um, which just I I just didn't have much of a relationship with, and I. I'm going to go more into my thoughts on Tom Cruise and specifically how like he's perceived because I think he's also going through like a bit of a like I mean he's never not been popular but I think like you know among film nerds or whatever people are like you know who we take for granted Tom Cruise and I'm like we don't know no he's good (laughs) I'm with you we're fine on that um so that'll probably be fourth oh I just um, he's you know he's the figurehead of a torture cult, and we can go into that more. Yeah. But like, can't he, wait. He, I really can't wait. Yeah, we're gonna. I can't wait to be labeled a suppressive person. <laughs> I am going to stick with my original ranking, even though I have an addendum, which is that the Mummy Returns is my favorite for personal reasons, not because it's a better movie than the Mummy. So I'm just gonna say that and say that my ranking is two, one. Four, three, and it's because as a, as offended as I am that they made a mummy movie without Brendan, it's horrifying, right? I also am more horrified that they would make a movie with Brendan and not Rachel. Like that just kills me. Um, it just because because I'm looking at you know the mummy with Tom Cruise and thinking like maybe this could be its own thing the way that Spy Kids kind of Spy Kids 40 was able to be its own thing I am not hope I am hopeful but not confident that that will be the case and I can't 
be sure about anything. <laughs> I'm really curious about four. Like I'm, I'm, I'm Me really too. looking forward to this because I don't know what to expect. I know, you know what? The score corner on the next one is going to be really fun because I'm going to get to talk about Brian steal your girl Tyler, um, a weird successor to the Goldsmith throne, um, who I can't i can't help but kind of like that dude's music and and what he does we'll get into it um my predictive ranking is well okay i can't tell if i'm gonna like it more than returns or not so i am going to go into this with the best of intentions and i'm gonna say one four two three whoa fucked I we'll see. We're all wrong. Yeah, I mean we'll see. I'm gonna, <laughs> I I I like from the complete op- opposite perspective. I'm going into the Mummy, uh, 2017 with my knives fucking out. Mm. You call, uh, call me Ryan Johnson. <laughs> call me Ryan Johnson, because I'm going in with my knives out. <laughs> I just I'm looking at the audio of that pass by and it's a single line. It's a bar. <laughs> It's just it's a, a, it's a, a rectangle. It's a fucking Snickers. Oh my um, god. Um, well, that was Dead Horse. <laughs> I don't. Do we do something? That was Dead do Horse. We... we we talk about riffs and we talk about trauma. Um, yes. Get fucked, but also we love you all. Please take care of yourselves. You're valid. Survive. And get fucked if you're not a nerd about ice packs. Brendan Fraser fucking rules. He can do no wrong any age that he exists in. And he's my motherfucking boyfriend. What do you guys think? I think you're wrong because he's my boyfriend. Okay, I always mess that up. Dead Horse is Becky Granger, Dixon Cashwell, and PJ Audencia. We'd like to thank Max Huffman for our podcast art. Go to maxhuffman.com and order his book, Cover Not Final. To follow us on social media, check us out at Dead Horse Podcast on Instagram and Dead Horse the Pod on Twitter. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars and text your mom back. This miniseries theme song comes courtesy of Tyler Hobbs, aka Buckhead Shaman. Follow him at Buckhead Shaman on Instagram. If you're still here um, on Apple Podcasts, if you could just comment um, like your favorite food that'll like be kind of like our inside joke or just like say something nice about us i don't know it's up to you